You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jesse titled, Inconvenient God. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Well, good morning. (laughs) How are we all doing today? Awesome. Well, it is great to see you. It's great to be here. Uh, And uh, thank you, everybody online for joining us. Um, Yeah, I'm so glad you all could be here. Thank you for the uh, warm welcome up. Uh, I love it when I get to get up here on on a a Sunday morning with you all. So, like Jake was saying, we are doing a two-part series, a two-week short series starting today called Inconvenient God. Sorry, that was in case lightning struck. Um, so I realize that m- that might sound uh, a little bit of like a, I suppose, a, a blasphemous statement, you might say. But this is talking in, in human terms here. I want to make that very clear. If, if we're being honest with ourselves and with each other, uh, there are definitely times when God asks us to do things that feel incredibly uncomfortable uh, or in- inconvenient. And, and, and this, uh, this is made even more difficult for us today because we live in the days of convenience. Am I right? I, I've talked about this on, on a Sunday before, uh, but microwaves, Amazon, Netflix, DoorDash. If I could have somebody carry me from my apartment to my car, I wouldn't have to walk anymore because everything else comes to my door. And that's, that's the world we live in, right? Like there's, uh, there's sometimes like I need to go and check in on my neighbors because I, I never see them leave and they just get, they just get packages. I mean, that, that's fine. They seem to be okay. They're, they're, they're doing it their way. But convenience is the name of the game in our culture. And uh, convenience is nice, but uh, I'm the kind of person who, who feels bad if like a waiter gets my order wrong, right? Um, so there's some of you who say, no, I, go, I want what I ordered, send it back for me. I just go, oh, I guess I could try this. <laughs> Thank you for making me step out of my comfort zone. I love it. (laughs) I usually just accept it, and I'm fine with it. The convenience doesn't matter as much to me. Is there anybody else who does that, by the way? Who's just, yeah, you you just, okay, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to make them feel bad. So a few months ago, Brooke and I were, uh, we were headed up north to visit some family up in Bend, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a pretty long drive, but we normally make a stop in, in Redding for some food, because it's kind of a nice almost halfway point, uh, and uh, it's, again, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty long drive, um, but I have the, the Mod Pizza app on my phone, and so we usually stop, and we just order Mod on, on my phone, uh, I get the rewards, and so I love that. Um, but the nice thing is, you know, it's convenient. You're able to order dinner, and when you arrive, it's supposed to be ready for you. You grab it, and you go. So I put our order in. It's supposed to be ready at the same time that we arrive. And so uh, we actually got there just a couple of minutes early, which, you know, no big deal. That, that works just fine. Um, so we, we go inside, and uh, we, we sit down, and like 10 minutes goes by. And... Brooke starts asking me, you know, she's like, did you forget to put the order? No, I put the order in. I've got it. You were driving. I took care of it. Don't worry. She's like, well, maybe they made a mistake. I'm like, it's fine. It's going to be fine. They're going to call our name when it's ready. That's, that's what they do. That's how they always work. So she, she, she trusts me. So she says, okay, should we sit back down? We're waiting. And like another 10 minutes goes by. And so we've been waiting for this food that was supposed to be ready 20 minutes ago. We've been waiting for 20 minutes. And, you know, people have walked in and they've ordered and they've got their pizza and they've left and we're still sitting there. And I'm, I'm just, I'm smiling. You know, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, Brooke was a little bit more impatient because um, she was the one who had to keep driving. So she, she's telling me, you need to go ask for food. And so I'm like, 
I'll go, okay, okay. So I, I walk up, and I'm like, hey, like, I'm really sorry. Um, we've been waiting for like almost a half hour for our food. And so the lady asked for my name. I said, yeah, it's Jesse. She said, your food's been on that shelf the entire time. <laughs> like, there's a timestamp on it. It was ready before we got there. <laughs> and we, we waited for 20 minutes. Not my brightest moment. Um, it made the next half hour in the car ride a little bit awkward. Brooke wasn't happy with me, but she forgave me. But I just didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to have to go talk to them. It, it just makes me uncomfortable for some reason. That kind of interaction just makes me nervous. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, it literally, that's literally it. I don't want to. So the, the title of this morning's message, uh, we're in the series Inconvenient God, but the title of this morning's message is I Don't Want To. I don't want to. There are times in our lives where God will ask us to do something and we simply don't want to. It's inconvenient, right? <laughs> but there is something deeper that goes on there. What is the driving factor of not wanting to do what God wants us to do? You know, what puts us in that place of thinking, yeah, God, I know that's what you want me to do, but I don't want to do it. I I believe there are a good number of reasons that we could probably come up with, but this morning we're going to focus on on a few of them. Uh, But before we move on, Let's take a moment to pray. Obviously, we know that God can do whatever he wants, uh, but I think he prefers it when we're willing to participate, right? So let's give God permission to challenge us and to stretch us a little bit today. Amen? All right, let's pray. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time that you have given us, Lord, and for this opportunity for me to share what you have put on my heart, Lord. I believe that it's important, and I pray that you would just speak through me. And, and for us all here, Lord, would you uh, help us to be willing to accept what you have for us this morning? Would you uh, open us up to be, to be stretched, Lord, and to get a little bit uncomfortable as we, we talk through um, your, your word this morning, Lord? So we give it all to you. We trust you. We love you. And In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to take a look at a few examples uh, from the Bible of people who were ultimately ultimately obedient to God, but who struggled with the task that they were given. You know, they were reluctant at times to follow through with the commands that they were given. And even though that they knew they came from God, it's that same kind of tension. And while these guys, they all have have similarities, each person has a unique reason for their reluctance. And and as we walk through their stories, we're going to see that we really aren't much different from them. In fact, the reasons they were reluctant are the same reasons that we tend to be as well. It's the beauty of the Bible. So here is the first reason that we don't always do what God asks. Number one, if you're taking notes, we are unwilling to be uncomfortable. We're unwilling to be uncomfortable. So it's it's easy to make jokes about our want for comfort, ease, and convenience, but really it's become a detriment to us in in more ways than one. You know, when, when you can have it easy, why do something that you know is going to be difficult, especially if you could fail, right? So we all know the hard work pays off. You know, it's, it's everywhere. Everybody knows, everybody said it. Hard work pays off. And even if we want it to be simpler, our faith and the things that God calls us to takes hard work. So the first person that I want to talk about this morning is a prophet named Jeremiah. 
And you can turn there with me to chapter 1 in Jeremiah. If you brought your Bibles or you've got your phone, um, I'll let you know what we're reading through so you can follow along with us. But we're going to look at chapter 1 of Jeremiah, verses 5 through 8. So the, uh, in, in the first chapter of the book of Jeremiah, he writes down the account of God calling him to the life of a prophet. And it's a fascinating story, so I'm going to read it. Verse 5, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. O sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. So from the beginning, we we get this hint of reluctance from Jeremiah. You know, he didn't readily jump up. If you've read through Isaiah, there's this, you know, this, uh, this vision that he has where, you know, he, he's in the court of the Lord and the God is saying, well, who will we send? And Isaiah says, here am I. Uh, Jeremiah said, no, <laughs> I can't do that. So th- this excuse reminds me of the conversation actually between Moses and the bur- burning bush, right? It's just, just excuses. You know, God, I can't do that because I'm this. Or God, I, 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 don't, I don't talk good. That's Moses. Uh, however, just like Moses, God tells Jeremiah to not be afraid because he is going to be with him. Now, Jeremiah served the Lord faithfully, but he wasn't always happy about what he had to do. Jeremiah, is some, he's referred to as the weeping prophet. You know, he wrote the book of, of Lamentations. Um, but there's also times where he's referred to as the prophet of doom because the message that God instructed him to give to Judah and Jerusalem was that. It was kind of this doom and, doom and gloom at times. Prophet of doom, it probably isn't, I, I don't think it's a very fair title to, to give him because he also has many beautiful prophecies of, of restoration, you know, if the people would return to God. But nevertheless, Jeremiah was persecuted for remaining faithful to God's message. In Jeremiah 19, God commands Jeremiah to go and proclaim the coming judgment for the people. This is something that he'd already been doing for for years, but here's here's another one. Uh, And it's a a dramatic fashion. There's there's a physical, you know, like an object lesson that goes with it. Um, But it it basically says that you're going to be destroyed. And because of that, in chapter 20, Jeremiah is beaten, publicly humiliated, and put in the stocks uh, up at the temple by a temple official for, for doing what God told him to do. And after he's released, he writes this in Jeremiah 28 uh, through 9. Follow along with me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. The sad thing is that this was not the only time that that Jeremiah was treated terribly for speaking the word of the Lord. And, And we can see here that there was another time that he had tried to keep the message to himself because he, just, he was tired of how he was treated. He was tired of being lonely. He was tired of being hurt and thrown into prison, all these things. So he says, I'm just not going to do it anymore. But the word of the Lord was in him like a fire and he could not keep it to himself. And if you read through his book, even in his suffering, Jeremiah is confident that the Lord is with him. 
He never doubts that what God is having him do is the right thing to do. He may just question how he gets treated because of it. But he was willing to endure and speak the truth, knowing that it would bring him trouble and pain. Knowing that it would be inconvenient and that there would be some discomfort. You see, not everything that God asks us to do is going to be comfortable. I can guarantee you that. But let us hope that when the time comes to speak out or to stay silent, the word of God would be like a fire in our hearts. Am I right? Let the word of God be greater than our reluctance because this is the will of God. This is the right thing to do. The second reason that we don't do what God asks us is because we doubt God's faithfulness. We doubt God's faithfulness. Doubt has this nasty way of grabbing a hold of us as we're moving forwards, we're trying to move forwards. If you've ever done any hiking uh, where there are brambles or blackberry bushes, you, you, you know how this goes. You'll be, you'll be carefully making your way forwards on the path and a thorny vine will grab your jacket or dig into your backpack or your skin and, and stop you, stop you in your tracks or, or throw you off the path. And, and this is kind of a picture that I want you to see of how doubt works. They're just these little tendrils that reach out and grab you and stop you as you're trying to move forwards. And now let me say this, doubt doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It is, it's actually a good thing to wrestle with tough issues and walk through things. That, that's actually a sign of an active faith that you're growing, that you're being challenged. Uh, where we go wrong is when we let doubts sidetrack us and distract us from the truth. You see, this, this is how doubt works. It's a halting factor for many faith walks. And, and doubt plays a huge role in the story of the Old Testament judge, Gideon. And that's the next person I would like to look at for this example here. The story of Gideon is fascinating to me. It was one that I always loved returning to as a kid because he's the underdog and everybody loves the underdog. He was a man that accomplished incredible things by faith, but it took him a lot of prodding and encouragement before he was able to act, before he was able to actually trust and move on and do it. And so we see it's the same thing with, with Jeremiah. When God calls Gideon, Gideon gives excuses. So Judges 6.15 says this, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. But just like he did for Jeremiah, God promises to be with him. And this is kind of a side note. I think that is something that we tend to forget as well. That when God asks us to do something, he promises to be with us. When we're sent by God, we are not on our own. We go in his name, in his power, and with him. Amen? Unfortunately, though, like Gideon, some of us have trust issues. For whatever reason, we have a hard time really putting that trust into action. And, you know, God can tell us something, but we struggle to really believe that it's true. Maybe you even really want to believe it's true, but there's just something in the back of your mind, a nagging bit of doubt that keeps you from moving forward, something that is just holding you back. And what if he doesn't? What if he lets me fail? What, what, what if I don't have what it takes to do what he's asking me to do? But you see, doubt makes us ask the wrong kinds of questions. This is not what's important for us here. So once God had given Gideon 
the command to rally the people to fight. He'd convinced him to do this, uh, to, to fight against their oppressors. Gideon still has doubts. And so he decides to put God to the test. So he, he, has, he has this, this thing that he, that he does. So he, he prays and, he's, and he leaves this wool on the ground and tells God, if you're really going to do what you promised me that you would do, first mistake there, he's asking God if he's actually going to do what he promised. He says, if you're really going to do what you promised you would do, make this wool wet and the ground around it dry. And, and, and God does it. I, I don't know why God, God uh, sort of um, played along, but he did. And that's great, right? You know, that, that's super cool. It's like, all right, great. He knows that the promise is confirmed, but it's not good enough for Gideon. He says to God, don't be mad. <laughs> the text says, don't be angry with me. But could you just flip-flop it? <laughs> could you do it again, but backwards? Keep the wool dry and make the ground wet, and then I'll know for sure that you'll keep your promise. Then I'll be convinced, God. And God does it. Again, I don't know why. I, I feel like I'd get annoyed. Like, dude, I, I already, we had this conversation. I've already proven that I'm God. Why aren't you? But okay, here you go. The wool is dry and the ground is wet. There you go. Now you know. See, when I was younger, I didn't understand this story at all. I thought this was supposed to be how you asked God for things. <laughs> but I never had like any just like loose wool but how many of you have done something like this? God, if you're really real, show yourself to me right now and I'll never question you again. Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> That's not supposed to be how this works. Really, this story is actually just a testament to God's faithfulness and his patience with Gideon. He intended to use him and he was going to use him. See, we're not supposed to put God to the test. In fact, Gideon should have known that. Because if we could just make God prove himself all of the time, we wouldn't need to have faith. God was gracious with Gideon, but he still didn't make it easy on him. Gideon had gathered an army of 32,000 men, and God decided that if that was what was going to go in and they won, they were going to boast and say, no, it's, we won because we're amazing warriors. And so God cut it down to 300 men and sent them out against their enemies. You see, God had let God, Gideon, God had let Gideon test his faithfulness, but now God was testing Gideon's faith. See, there, there's a lot more that goes into this story, but I, I really wanted to, to focus in and highlight where Gideon has his doubts. Because even though Gideon struggled with trust, ultimately, ultimately his faith was greater. He did follow through. There's even this, this sweet moment near, near the end there where they're camped out and they're ready to go the next morning after the enemies. And God says, if you're afraid, I want you to go down and I want you to hear what they're saying in the camp. And they, they, they sneak down there, him and his, his servant, and they can hear the, uh, I believe they were the Amalekites and, and, and a few others, um, but they can hear them. They're, they're talking about these dreams that they're having. And they're, they're interpreting them and saying, surely this is Gideon and will be destroyed. And that was the last sign that Gideon needed. He rallied his troops and they utterly destroyed this army that had come against Israel. Church, we can hold to the truth of the Bible. God's character is shown to us through its pages. And when you're unsure and when you're doubtful and you're uncertain, return to the word. Doubt cannot win or it will always hold us back. We have to trust in God's faithfulness and lean into the inconvenience and the uncomfortable in order to make it through. 
So you have the third reason we might not do what God asks us to do is because we are afraid of what we know God will do. Let me repeat that. We are afraid of what we know God will do. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, we can never put God into a box, right? We can't just say, this is how God works. I understand him. He is above and beyond where we are. But if you read the Bible, you will learn about his character. And in this way, we get to know God's heart. He reveals himself to us. What comes of this is that we are now able to expect God to work in in certain ways, in certain circumstances. You know, can I tell you what God will do tomorrow? No, not exactly, but I can tell you that God is good, and I know that. Can, Can I tell you what God's plan for the rest of your life is? No, but I can tell you that God is faithful, and that he works with you and through you, and he wants to use you. Those are things that I know because I've read them in the Bible, and they've been true in my life. And as you get to know God, it becomes a little easier to understand what he expects of you. You know, and, and, and uh, have no doubt, there are things that God expects of us. The Bible is not a, a, just a book of rules, but there are definitely commands that need to be obeyed. You know, what, I'm supposed to love people? Yeah, well, the Bible, you know, tells us that God is love, right? So you should expect that. Also, Jesus said, um, love people. So, I mean, that's paraphrasing, but it's pretty, uh, it's kind of the big deal in the Bible, Did you understand what I'm getting at here, though? (laughs) As we learn about God's character, we can know how we are to act and speak and treat people because we know how God our Father is. Now, I want to talk about what happens when we know God's character, but we run from it. When we're afraid of what we know God will do. See, one of the greatest examples of someone who ran away in the Bible is Jonah. Jonah was a prophet who was commanded to go to the wicked city of Nineveh and preach against it. And as we know, he tried to run away, was cast into the sea, and swallowed by a fish. You can't run away from God. Jonah repents, and God has this fish vomit him onto the land after being in the fish's belly for three days, and God gives Jonah a second chance and commands him again to go to Nineveh, and Jonah goes. And Nineveh was so large, bless you, that it took him three days to go through and, and, and preach. Uh, I, mean, I, can, I can imagine if you're walking around on foot, uh, I believe God says it was a city of 120,000 people. And, but praise the Lord, after he does this, the people repent. They're sorry for their sins. And God relents from his plan of destruction. Praise God, what an amazing testament to who God is. But now here is where it gets interesting. We're going to read from Jonah 4, verses 1 through 3. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord? Jonah was a little dramatic, in my opinion. (laughs) But now we see the real reason that Jonah ran away. Again, this was another story that I didn't really understand when I was a little bit younger. It wasn't over fear of what the Ninevites would do to him that he ran away. No, he was afraid that God would be true to his character and show mercy to the city of Nineveh. That's what he was worried about. Now, I'm sure that Jonah had his reasons for disliking the Ninevites so much, but wanting them to be destroyed without giving them a chance can't be right, especially when God was commanding him to go and give them that second chance. 
Jonah gets so angry at God for having mercy that he wants to die. He says, take my life. This isn't worth it. He's angry at God for doing something good. This would be like me getting angry at someone for helping out at a homeless shelter because I had a bad experience with a homeless person once. Okay? Like, I knew it. You're so nice. I knew that you would help them. You're always so quick to jump to their aid. I can't believe you want to be helpful. What, are you trying to be a blessing or something? It would be ridiculous of me to act that way. It sounds more like I have some unresolved issues towards people who actually need my help. This is obviously a very extreme example, but I'm willing to bet that many of us have something that we're avoiding. Or maybe, maybe we're not running from it, you know. We're not, we're not completely going Jonah. But we're definitely pretending that it's not there or that we, we didn't hear God or, you know, we, we fell asleep when he was telling us that part while we were praying. You know, so you, you don't make that phone call because you know that God wants you to forgive. You avoid those who ask for help because you know God wants you to say Yes. You run from confrontation because you know God wants you to be the bigger person and you don't pray about certain things because you know God wants you to sacrifice something. You see, God puts these difficulties in our path for a reason. There's something to be done, something to be said, or something to be learned, and avoiding it may put you in a worse place than if you just faced it head on. Figure it out before you end up in the belly of the fish. Here's, here's my fourth point. God is inconvenient, so we will grow in faith. Again, let me remind you, these are human terms. God is in control. He can do whatever he wants to do, but there are things that he plans and puts in our lives that are inconvenient to us. God is not, I'm not saying God is just inconvenient. He's an inconvenient God. He's not. But the way that he makes me feel is it feels that way sometimes. So here's the deal. People don't grow in comfort and ease. It is much easier to remain faithful to the Lord in difficulty and adversity. And if you've walked through those times, you'll know that that's true. But there are things that he plans and puts in our lives that are inconvenient to us. And God desires us to grow in faith through these times. And our faith is meant to be worked out in what we do. Read with me this, Romans 10, 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, this is a specific example about the gospel because that's absolutely one of the things that God asks us to do. But this is also something that we should apply to anything that we do with God. How is it going to get done if no one does it? So this is the call. You need to understand that there is a role that you are meant to play. It isn't always pretty, but it will be good because God is in control. In this way, this whole faith thing is actually convenient because we take it with us wherever we go. And it doesn't really weigh much, I don't think. But we have to be just as willing to step into the inconvenience as we are to accept the convenience. 
There's a responsibility that comes with belonging to Jesus Christ and to keep the good news to ourselves would be wrong. When it comes to sharing your faith, some will say, I'm just, I'm just waiting for the right time to share. And for sure, there's wisdom in that. I'm not knocking that. I've definitely said that. But whoever, you know, whoever it needs to be needs to be in a place where they're ready to hear. And the Bible talks about being prepared to share the reason for your faith. You know, those are all good things. But what does your waiting look like? Because the Bible talks about waiting, and waiting is not sitting around. Waiting in the Bible is active. So are you, are you praying for opportunity? Are you prepared to share the reason for your faith? Are, are you ready to share at any moment? Have you been living a life that backs up what you're going to share? What I've been telling you this whole time is that this is not a convenient gospel. The God we serve is not the God of convenience. But if it's not us who go, then who will? If we don't help, who will? God is calling. And who else will answer? Uh, raise your hands if you've ever built a house or been involved in the building process. Yeah, a good number of us. Great. So, it's not as simple as throwing up four walls and slapping on some paint, right? It's hard work. It's not as simple as all that. But before coming up, Pastor, I, I, worked in, I worked in construction on a lot of big custom homes up in Bend because that's the big thing. And it is crazy how much work can go into one house with like a family of three. <laughs> there's, there's planning that needs to get done. Every step of the process needs to be laid out. The right people have to be right into the project and you have to schedule those people. You have cement, ma cement masons, carpenters, plumbers, HVAC technicians, drywallers, tilers, and painters, and more. You have to plan around the weather. You have to get the right permits. What part of this process is convenient and simple and easy? It's not just four walls and paint. When I, was, when I was around nine years old, my, my parents bought property out in, uh, in the country of northern Oregon, and they set out to, to build a house, and I think it took them around twice as long as they intended because my dad actually did a lot of the work on his own. And there were days where my brother Marcus and I would go to the job site with my dad, and we'd just have to entertain ourselves. We weren't really old enough to actually be helpful, uh, and so we'd just kind of wander in the woods surrounding the area. Um, but, you know, that got old, and so... There were scrap plywood pieces all over the place, so we decided to build ourselves a clubhouse. My dad gave us hammers, and he gave us nails, and we built our own house around this tree that was about 25 yards from the house, and it was our pride and joy. We each had our own room, and you know, eventually we built an extra one for my other little brother, Everett, uh, because we didn't want him to feel left out. And I, I think we originally wrote in paint, like, no girls allowed on the outside, because that's what you do. But either our mom made us get, you know, like, paint over it, or it, it, honestly, it might have been that we just wanted our sister's help. <laughs> and so we're like, yeah, you can, I guess you can join our club, but you have to work. <laughs> so we let them in. We built them rooms. And let me tell you, it was not structurally sound. <laughs> I think more than anything, the boards were just leaning against the tree, and we just like put nails through it. That was really it. And looking back, I'm, I'm really surprised that it stayed up as long as it did. <laughs> and one day, when, when, the, when the real house was almost finished, we went to the job site again, and the clubhouse was gone. And my dad and some of the guys who were helping him had, had torn it down and cleaned up all the scrap. And we were, we were distraught. But our dad took us aside. He explained that it was for our safety. Um, and, and thinking back, I think he was getting worried because we'd started building a second story. <laughs> um, 
and I'd already stepped on a nail that went through my blue Crocs, I mean my work boots. Uh, so really, he, he did it to keep us safe. Also, I think there were people who were coming to check out to make sure that the, the building was up to code, and there was a, like a, a shack <laughs> right next to it, so they wanted to look better. Uh, but this is an example of faith and comfort and faith and action, this, this story. One grows into something beautiful over time, and the other falls. One took months of work and dedication, while the other went up in an afternoon because we were bored. There's a bit of a difference there. You see, for my dad, he had involved himself in every aspect of the building process. There were times when professionals would come in, of course, and they worked, but my dad did a lot of this work personally, or he was always helping, he was always learning. He put countless hours into this house, and if he didn't know how to do something, he found someone who could teach him, or he watched a YouTube video, or he read a manual. He put the work in, and he ended up with a beautiful house for his family. And to this day, it's still one of the greatest houses I've ever lived in. It was the best place to be a 10-year-old. He knew that the end goal, he knew what the end goal would be, and he persevered. The difference with our faith is that we can't always tell what we're building, and that's frustrating. We can't always tell exactly how we're contributing. But if you're unwilling to go through with the inconvenient things that God puts in our lives, we will miss out on the incredible things that God has intended for us. We won't be able to see what's at the other, on the other side of the hill or what's across the finish line because we gave up. We won't ever be able to see the house built. Each of us has work that we need to do and only God sees the big picture. We don't need to see it. We just need to do it. And, and let me be a little more direct for a minute here. What constitutes inconvenience for us? Think about that for a second. What, what do we think is inconvenient? How do we decide what that is? Isn't it a little bit selfish to be unwilling to go out of our own way? Because aren't we overjoyed when someone else goes out of their way to bless us? Don't we gladly talk about and celebrate the times when we were worried or afraid and God came through using someone else to bless us? How can we joyfully accept the inconvenience of others while being unwilling to be inconvenienced ourselves? Just another example. Uh, remember when God incarnate died on a cross for us? <laughs> How can we complain about inconvenience when a life was given in order for us to have life and to be restored? So I'm, I'm not here to, to try to make you feel bad. <laughs> This morning, I'm also not here to just point the finger at you because God is calling me out on my own reluctance this morning. There are things that he wants me to do and I have been unwilling. But this, I, this is why this was on my heart. And I, I think there's some of us in here who needed to hear it too. Church, God plans inconvenient, uncomfortable, and difficult situations for us, and he does this to grow our faith. Jeremiah and Gideon overcame their reluctance and remained faithful. Jonah was obedient in the end, but his heart was bitter. He accomplished a great thing in saving an entire city from destruction, but he missed the joy of overcoming adversity and fulfilling God's will because he was unwilling to see the big picture. Now, I'm not saying that you just start pretending that you're fine with being inconvenienced. I am saying that maybe you need to stop looking at it 
as an inconvenience and start looking at it as an opportunity. Because that's how God sees them. That's how God intends them. He doesn't put things in our path that says, man, I hope they trip. (laughs) I hope they fall over. He gives us these things and he says, I hope you grow. I hope you help. I hope you change somebody's life. See, God's character is sure and he does not change. No matter how we feel about what's going on in the moment, we have to trust that there is a reason. Don't let doubt, fear, or discomfort hold you back from the good things that God has planned for you. There's something beautiful, so beautiful about the fact that we get to partner with God and do amazing things. And there's so much more that God has for us. We just have to be willing. We have to be okay with the inconvenience. We have to understand why. And there's a lot more peace that comes with putting our hands up and saying, God, you're in control. And that's okay. If I need to be late, I'll be late. If I need to give up something, I'll give up something. If I need to have that conversation, I'll have that conversation. It's not because I want to, but because God told me to. And I trust him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your your graciousness and your patience and your your faithfulness towards us, Lord. God, forgive us when we're so unwilling to let go of our own way, Lord. Because deep down, we really do want to do what you want us to do, Father. But we get so caught up in the way that our world works and the way that we're used to things, Father, and we just get uncomfortable and confused when things get shaken. So, Lord, would you guide us into those good things? Would you help us to be ready for them? Would you give us peace for the moment? And would you give us wisdom while we are out and we are working and we are accomplishing great things for your kingdom, Jesus? Would this be about you and not about us, Lord? We give this all to you. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.